Okay, <clears throat> welcome back to Curious Entrepreneurs Podcast with he, me, Alex Hughes, my co-host Sam Squire, the Ignition Coach, and we've got a very special guest in today. Um, I'm a bit, little bit obsessed with this um, lady after meeting her at Ideas Fest and going for a random walk around the we stalls. We did laps. We did a lap. <laughs> we literally just did laps after. I think about 10 people told told me that we needed to meet. The whole two days was like, well, you need to speak to Alex or you need to speak to Danny. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and well, we're here now, so it's about time really, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll allow um, Danny to introduce herself, but um, Sam, do you want to get us kicked off? So, yeah, uh, this has been a privilege to get to know you as well. Um, so I'll ask you this question and then I'll... F- Feel free to intro. Um, what are you curious about for 2023? Oh, I'm curious about so much for 2023 because right now feels really exciting. So shall, do I need to introduce myself? Yeah. I feel like I Pull it all in. Pull it all in. So I am Danny Wallace and I am the Queen Bee, which is a ridiculously audacious statement to make. And I'm quite aware that it's a ridiculously audacious statement to make because my MO is helping people take up space in the world where they might not have done ordinarily. So in my muggle job, my muggle business, which is far from a muggle business, um, I'm a public speaking coach. And what I found was in building a business that is deeply centred in kindness and community um, and taking up space, that it really lent itself to my long-term lifetime ambition of creating uh, my CIC, which is the Fly Anyway Foundation. So I help people to speak in my muggle job, but actually in my CIC, the Fly Anyway Foundation, I help people who have experienced domestic abuse build businesses because I found myself in a position 12 years ago where I was homeless, I'd experienced generational domestic abuse, intimate partner domestic abuse, and business actually saved my, ni- saved my life. Entrepreneurialism saved my life. So everything mm. I do is kind of centred around that. So I'm really curious to see how I can take that concept of of allowing businesses to rise up, show up, wise up and rise up and, and take back their power. Because as somebody who's experienced domestic abuse, I was completely unemployable. So seeing if that people out there that, that if that's actually a thing. Is is it a thing that um if you've got barriers to employment, that's not necessarily barriers to being successful. Yeah, so that's where the, the entrepreneurship comes in right time and you've got this something that i've seen in the work that we've done and and uh, my own experiences that that's all energy you know whether it's positive energy negative energy it's all energy Mm. and if there's a word i could probably put around you that would probably be energy Mm. um i'm 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 keen and curious to understand if you don't mind just taking us back a little bit and and only share what you're happy to share i share oh i have a massive overshare well good good. then overshare with us get comfy It'd just be really helpful for us to understand where you come from to help us understand where you're going. So yeah. if you wouldn't mind us sharing some of that, where you were before and how you how you came across entrepreneurship, because I usually find in this conversation that actually you don't quite recognise entrepreneurship as what you see it as now. Mm-hmm. What, when did you, how did you find entrepreneurship? Uh, how did it save your life? Um, and did you know it was entrepreneurship then? So later on, actually, it was really, that's a really, really good question. So I grew up on the council estates of Preston, um, where within my community, the whole, the vibe, the vibe of where I grew up was you have to work really incredibly hard for not a lot of output. Everybody side to side, backwards and forwards were living on the breadline or beneath the breadline. 
And also things like addiction, uh, generational domestic abuse. If I again look into the side, uh, look into the side of me, my cousins experienced domestic abuse previously. My nanas, granddads, great grandmas, great granddads. If I look back through generations, the the disparity between the sexes was really inherent, like part of part of my makeup. So, as the youngest of lots of cousins, I actually have one sibling, but our house is like a like a revolving door of people coming to stay with us so even though our house was quite chaotic it was the least chaotic of all of the aunties and uncles so mum had lots of siblings and lots of kids and they would come to stay with us and mum would kind of like nurse them back to health and send them back off out into the world and this really sort of inherent caring I think is something that both me me and my sister have have got from her Um, and we always wanted to do something really good with that and the problem with being brought up in chaos is you don't know it's chaos. You just think it's normal. You, you the, the fights and the arguments and the drinking and all of that. And it, I was about 13, 14. I remember sitting in my sister's bedroom and, and they were fighting downstairs and we were just escaping it, put the telly on really loud. And I remember saying to Gemma, I looked to her and I just went, one day we're going to do something that is going to stop this from happening, whether it's for our kids or whether it's for the people that are around us. We, You and I, I don't know how we're going to do it. I remember saying this to her, we were 13, 14. How are we going to do this? I don't know. And that was just a conversation that we had watching the telly, we were watching EastEnders, something like that. And it was years later that... I ran away with the circus at 16 and started singing all over the world, found out I, I could perform and I could sing, which is great, but it meant I could run away from my situation, worked all over the world, but it wasn't a proper job. And that's something, again, from where I come from, you've got to have a proper job, right? Entertainment yeah. is definitely not a proper job. What I do now is not a proper If I ask my mum now, what do I do? She couldn't answer you. Um, <laughs> It's not a proper job, but because I'm making really good money now, it's okay, it's so, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I ran away with the circus, sang all over the world, came back to the UK to get a proper job because I didn't feel like I was doing the right thing. So I'm carrying this mm. fr- from my mum, from my, from my family, that if it's not a proper job, it's not valid. And I didn't feel valid, didn't feel validated. So I came back to the UK and started to work in the contact centre. This is at the time of the rise of the contact centre, early 2000s, where it was the new factory, if you will, everybody. And we're, Preston's a student town. Yeah. Everyone's working in contact centres. So I started working for the Carphone Warehouse, and they saw that I was actually really good on the phones, and talent managed me. Um, and one of the things that I found with, with, the, with the big corporates was that it's easier and cheaper to second you in and talent manage up than it is to recruit in talent at the top end. So cleverly for them and brilliantly for me, because I never went to university or anything like that, they taught me HR, they taught me training, they taught me how to train. I ended up being a senior leadership trainer for some fantastic brands. But underneath it all was this real difficulty, this struggle with myself and my validation and the bar that I'd been set for my relationships was really quite low. So uh, essentially what happened was I found myself in a position whereby I had two kids under the age of three. Uh, I'd experienced intimate partner domestic abuse and I lost my house. I was homeless with my two kids. I went self-surfing and living between my mum's and my sister's and friend's house. I'm trying desperately to hold on to this job for dear life, trying to hold on to this job. And there was one night I'm tucking my kids into bed and I'm just about to go down to London 
and they're staying at my mum's and I didn't know if I kissed them goodbye or goodnight is, is essentially the decision that I was making in that moment was what am I going to do if every decision that I've made has brought me here and I'm just a burden to everybody, including these poor kids, do I even need to be around for them? And I sat in the car, it was like a scene out of a really rubbish 80s movie, the windscreen wipers are going, it's raining outside, there must have been a really rubbish song on the, on the radio that made me do a proper cry. But it was in that moment I decided either life was going to continue to happen to me or I was going to have to happen to life. That was a, a choice that I had to make in that moment, right? And it was from there that I started to think, all right, if every decision that I've made has brought me here, then every decision I make from here on in is going to take me somewhere. I'm going to have to choose the destination because I wasn't choosing the destination. I was just letting it happen. And so from there, I came out of employment, which sounds like a savvy thing to do when you're homeless. Uh, but it was, the, the wage that I was on was just keeping me poor. It sounds weird, yeah. that There was nowhere for me to go because of the glass ceiling. This is at the start of the last recession. Nobody's moving because there's so many redundancies that are going on. Everyone's holding on for dear life to their jobs. And um, I was at a point where I couldn't progress anymore. And I had this, I, I, I was a singer, that was my job, I wanted to perform and I thought, well, actually I can keep my income low and get tax credits by moving into gig economy mm -hmm. far before it became a real thing. You know, if we look at like Uber now and, and people working in Deliveroo, this whole like gig economy, I was actually gigging in, in my own little gig economy. Um, and I started to ask for help. And I started to reach out to the people around me and say, actually, this is the situation I'm in. Because I didn't tell anybody. Um, yeah. Validation was holding you back. Exactly, exactly. I wanted to be seen to be doing well. And I was the one that had bought a house. And I was the one that had got a really dead good job. And I'd, I'd kind of broke out and then I'd lost everything. I didn't want to tell anybody about that. So swallowing my pride and asking for help was a real important thing for me to do. When, when you say you asked for help, um, who... Like what, who are those characters? Telling my friends what was going on. Um, at, going to places like Citizens Advice Bureau and actually say my finances are in tatters here. I've just had my house repossessed. I don't know how to, I don't, I don't know where to live. I don't know how to get hold of a house. Yeah, it's a real um, practical. Yeah. yeah cool. I just didn't know. And I was so scared and so frozen in my like situation. Actually asking for help. Engaging in services as well. So I was being looked after by... Um, an IDVA, which is an independent domestic violence advisor. Yeah. Uh, so I was under like a team, a multi-agency team, and relinquishing the shame around it. It's like when I had kids, I freely and gladly gave away my dignity so it wasn't stolen yeah. from me. I didn't lose it, I gave it away, and it's kind of what I did then. Um, but, so I started to build things up, but found a house to live in, started to, you know, pay the rent, started to, you know, gig, found a, a lovely relationship with my now husband. And we were watching the film, the B-movie, like years later, and there's this quote at the beginning of the B-movie, and it goes, aerodynamically, bees shouldn't, I'm paraphrasing, bees shouldn't be able to fly. Their fat little bodies should not <laughs> get off the ground via their little wings, but the bee doesn't care what humans think is impossible, the bee flies anyway. Well, I clutched my pearls. I was like, bloody hell, that's exactly what I'm doing, I'm flying anyway. And the seed for the Flying Away Foundation was sown within that. You know, I was saying I was an oversharer. So I would do these gigs, but I'd go live. I'd put my phone on the dashboard and put my makeup on and, and get ready for my gigs and tell people about what I was going to be getting up to and my dreams. And plus, I was going to write a book and I was going to create a community. I was going to put events and I'm going to be a motivational speaker because I'm a survivor mm. and all of this. But actually, I just 
started to do it and and then learned how to monetize it and learn how to create and the flying away foundation i could only create once i'd created safety security stability within my business yeah. and actually business saved my life either through working for myself and taking back that power asking for help understanding what my gaps were and then start to fill it like with an accountant for example because your girl isn't a details person i'm like on the big ideas mm -hmm. so so yeah and then and then from there iatqb was born and that came more formalized and and then the flying away foundation and started here you are. and here we are I'll, like so talk to you guys I, 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 know, I know sam has got his brains me worrying around some of this because you said something just before you go into it you said you sat in your bedroom with your sister and you said that one day you were going to do all of what you're doing now. But then you just said that um, you, you saw that bee thing and, it, and that was it, the seed. But actually the seed was yeah, 14, it activated then. It was there. Yeah. But your self-awareness, your vulnerability, you were coming through that journey and, and unlocking yourself in that way. Actually, it wasn't the seed then. The seed was 14. Which is really interesting. Sorry, Sam's Sam's worrying. Good I can, listening. I can, I can, Very oh, good listening. Um, <laughs> no, I, from what you've said so far, I'm I'm interested. You spoke about um, like generations and the the same habits that we can adopt from people yeah. because that's all we've ever seen. So during that period, what practice helped you break that generational chain? most i think first of all it was recognizing that what was happening to us wasn't normal i think that was uh, it was seeing if i was to look at my friends were they experiencing this well no could i have my friends come and stop over well no could i go and stay at a friend's house well yeah because my dad we didn't know what kind of dad we were going to get that evening so i didn't want to like they would never have been in any danger, but I just didn't want them to see it. He was, he was very sloppy. He wasn't very nice. For, I wasn't very proud of that particular situation. Um, and then once I realised that it wasn't normal, what was experiencing wasn't normal, then I just started to watch. I just started to look, like, what's happening? Like, is it, do, I wanna, do I want to bring my children up around fighting all the time? It's a really scary thought as well, because I'm quite like my dad. My dad's very vivacious. Um... He's a, a master networker. Like, if I look at what he did um, in his work life, on the surface, he was considered a very good man. You know, he did a lot for local party politics. He was leader of the Lib Dems. He did all sorts of stuff on the surface. And then underneath, there was this duality going on. And I found that in my late teens, early 20s, there was this duality going on. Not that I was replicating his behaviour, but there was this underneath was in chaos and on top was I was perceived as being very successful and all of this. Naturally, underneath it wasn't the case at all. I was holding on for dear life and I sort of recognised it was that self-awareness that that oncoming train of generations was railroading quite literally. It was entering into my life. I was the generation. I then had a child and I was had the shitty stick that I was about to pass on to my child. I thought, no, I want to stand in front of the train and say, no, this stops with me. And my sister did the same thing. You know, we're saying about the seed yeah. that was sown, how are we going to do this? I spent the last 20 years learning about business. She spent the last 20 years learning about social care. She, she now works in a, a refuge now, and we're learning together about what is needed within provision and actually how can we benefit and help it instead of it being just frontline crisis support. How do we stop 
that cycle of happening again swim and again. Upstream, swim upstream. I've got goosebumps. <laughs> like, oh, powerhouse. I want to meet your sister. Yeah. She's amazing. Like, she's bad man. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, okay, can we talk about Fly Anyway Foundation? Because I think that's what got me hooked on you and your energy was that. Because obviously we share this mission. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would, I, although... I was never a victim of abuse uh, when I was younger. It was in my, it was around my family, mm. and as you know, as a fourteen-year-old father as well. Um, so I've really related to where you've come from. And when we went for that walk, and and I was just blown away by what you're doing with the foundation. I thought, well, we've just got to find a way to. I think that's what we said, wasn't it? Whatever it is, let's we just don't skip even to the good know. bit. We yeah. don't. We just do it. We're just yeah. going to fly anyway. So, what's the mission for Fly Anyway Foundation? And um, you know, in terms of you know the, the some of the engagements you've been having, I know you've got this event as well, which all coincides. So, how does that whole ecosystem of support look like, and how does it work? So, at present, so we've got a sort of a five stage plan for the Flying Away Foundation. So, in the first instance, we're it feels like we're doing things ask about face. We're doing things actually towards the end of because I don't talk about our service users as survivors no. because we're actually quite past the survival bit they're people who've experienced domestic abuse people who've experienced domestic abuse to people who've experienced trauma right and trauma will display itself in things like barriers to employment you know it'll in in self-esteem in the way that people interact with the world in all sorts of ways and so there's lots of provision for point of crisis support it isn't perfect it's actually really far from perfect and leaves lots of people in lots of danger but is that my area of expertise? The answer is absolutely not. I am not trained to provide direct support at point of crisis. However, what I do know is I do know confidence and I do know what survival looks like. And I do know because I've trained myself, not just, I'm not just a survivor that serves because I've experienced it. I've made sure that I'm really educated in, in the field. So we, the first stage of the plan is to help people build businesses. If I'd had the support earlier to build a business I would have done so sooner if I'd have known it were possible but it wasn't for me it was like you you go college or go uni if you can if you can afford it only the few do where I come from not very many people went um or um and, and then you go and get a job somewhere or you go straight from school or even leave school early and just get a job and that's it you're in employment state of mind straight away there's no sort of access to that and uh it really scared me if someone had told me how easy it was yeah and some people did at the time. They're like, Danny, you should work for yourself. It's really easy. Um, so Normalising that. Normalising so mindset. Some mindset, isn't it? Yeah. So first stage is helping people with a business idea to flesh that idea out and then provide them with the practical support and like emotional and mindset support so that they can start to implement. So our business builders, which is the ne- what we call our service users, they're not victims, not survivors, they are our business builders. Uh, people who happen to have experienced domestic abuse are supported to get their idea to point of fruition mm-hmm. and then supported by a community thereafter to network with each other and to help each other. So it's not about babying grown people to, like, they're going to have to hold on to our apron strings forever. It's just empowering them to say, you know, you've got, this is a valid idea. Okay, so what do you need to think about now? So that's the first stage. Mm-hmm. Then, uh, once we've established that, or we're establishing that now, we've got our business builders coming through. Yeah. They're amazing. Yeah, I met a so few of proud. them at your event. Yeah. Um, two months ago, that was like 
pretty cool. It was really cool. Got to come be there. Obviously. I can't wait for you to come to the next no, one. I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there. I'll be there. <laughs> well, got some news on that as well. After. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah. So, next stage is employability. So barriers to employment because yeah. having a business isn't for everybody. But what I what I found is, and I've worked in welfare to work as well, that people who have experienced trauma will access work in a different way they will think about work and employment in a different way and actually being managed sometimes quite triggering mm -hmm. so to provide support for people to help remove some of those barriers to employment so to develop um ties with like hmrc for example with the job center um to reduce sanctions on people who've experienced trauma when they're experiencing acknowledging barriers to employment so that's the next stage and then it's post-crisis support so post-crisis support is about prevention of the cycle happening again so more specific domestic abuse related support counseling retreats wow. all of that sort of stuff then crisis support because one of the terrible things about the domestic abuse provision here in the uk is everything is in silos there's nothing joined up at all throughout the whole of the uk there's a great um a great uh foundation called uh, clear path uh, that's attempting now to create a real national network of conversation are absolutely necessary um to, to prevent this silo so you can say if you're in cambridge for example you'll experience services in one way and in preston you'll experience services in an entirely different way mm. none of them are joined up and all of these tend to be survivors that have seen a need and created their little thing for their area mm -hmm. so there's a big piece of work that needs to be done to bring all that together and then so that's post-crisis support then crisis support and then we want to open a national refuge network wow. um yeah and we're and we're we're working with partners now to make that happen and Gemma, my sister has been learning about what it takes to run a refuge from the inside out and working with some fantastic partners there as well so amazing and you're a community interest company yeah which, you know i just i think that's the future i really do i think the network i think if the bigger conversations around i mean we can't we just can't rely on on the, the systems that be to resolve these problems no. we need that entrepreneurial energy yeah. in things that matter socially yeah. and sustainably so you yeah. know i think um I love the fact that you're a CIC because that makes it easier for us to understand at a value level what you're doing for society. And I think that's what, well, as you scale, mm -hmm. that's what young people are going to want. Right. They want to be, be part of something. You said it. I asked you after Anthropy, what did you want? What did, yeah. you, say? What did you say when I asked you? Well, I want, I want action, but like from the conversations I have with young people on a daily basis, all they want to see is action. And... From my experience with working with probably maybe over two and a half thousand young people is that they they only care when you care about them yeah. and they don't care about anything else. Like they don't care about job titles. They don't care about what you're wearing. Like that's all they care about. And that followed by action is just like they'll just gravitate. Yeah, it's amazing. They, they have, they, there's this great phrase, don't tell me you're funny, make me laugh. Yeah. And I think young people particularly need that. They don't need you to tell them things. They, they they need to see you do something. They need to feel you care about them in order for them to make the moves. The same for people who access our services. I mean, for anybody that we work with within any yeah. kind of business. Don't tell me you're funny, make me laugh. Don't tell me you're going to do something, do the thing. Yeah, watch, yeah, yeah exactly. But that's why, so in our program, it made Sam laugh the first time I did this. I got the day one, I always lay out the pads. And I say to them, you know, everyone turn over page 18 and they open it up and it's 
blank. And I said, yeah, the whole thing's blank. Welcome to business. <laughs> I love it. I've got questions. <laughs> I've got curious questions for you. And we've got network. And we've got access to the answers. But it's you, you need to find your own questions. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like, literally what you said there around being told. Like, if you look at the current education system in regards to schooling, they're always told what to do. Part of what we're going to speak about later with our launch event is around us. Like, we need to actively listen to young people now we need to approach them with a community with a way of communicating which is completely different to what's going on and that's through actively listening asking the right questions and like you said earlier about holding holding space for someone that actually like go go and be curious in this space go and be creative and actually take courageous action like take positive risk i, I say that actually fail forwards yeah. like <laughs> like well, we You're we well, I just fall on my face, mate. So. <laughs> <laughs> but like, we we have a conversation. Like, we know certain young people are going to make mistakes. We won't let them fall on their face, but we will go right. Go do that. Feel the bomb. Yeah, and then come, and then come back once you once you've done it. Reflect and then and then do it better. Do it better or go a different avenue. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> okay, so um, let's talk about education system. <laughs> yeah, um, you're a mum. First and foremost, um, your experiences as a parent, which I know maybe actually before you say, before you talk about this, something you said in your, you've been very kind to let us use some of your, your course material with yeah. our Curious Entrepreneurs and something that stuck in my mind since I listened to it was speak from the scar, not from the wound. Right. So... I appreciate this is more from the wound because yeah, it's now. It's right now. <laughs> but what are your thoughts, experiences and concerns as a parent when you think about the education system right now? So I think it helps that I'm as self-aware as I am for me to be able to speak unem not unemotionally about this, but without like it really kind of cutting me up. But my eldest is, I've got a trans son, Eli, he's 15. And I didn't realise, because of my own inherent ableism, didn't realise that he was on the autism spectrum. I should have realised it a long, 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 long time ago. I should have realised it when he was in reception and <laughs> they were having story time and he went over, didn't know how to engage with the group, so just stood on the outside and hopped until somebody paid attention to him. Like, if I look back, I can hit myself uh, for the amount that I, you know, you didn't know you, you know realise or recognise, right? But under the lens of COVID um, and, and being in the sort of under the microscope with each other for that for that amount of time, uh, I realised actually, no, he's on some sort of ASD going on ADHD. So we're going through a process at the moment whereby um, he's neurodivergent. He's obviously neurodivergent. The more I look at it, the more I see, oh, my goodness. His teachers have got very, very little access to understanding what support neurodivergent kids really require so the education system is judging my son's ability to swim when he is indeed a land animal so like it's you know talking about uh, judging an ele elephant's ability to fly right yeah. it, it, he's an incredible empathic vocationally learning auditory it, like the the, the boy remembers song lyrics for fun. Like, you can ask yep. him any song and he remembers song lyrics for fun. I didn't realise until I played Kazuoki one Christmas with him that he actually knew all of the songs. Like, even songs that I didn't know when I'm a singer. Like, my back catalogue is huge. Like, so he's the frustration that 
teachers have had with him all the way through the years have been he's got so much potential but he just can't focus he's got so much potential but he's got so much potential but and it's always been to his detriment so with the education system um he's a trans boy in a girl's school because I chose dead wisely <laughs> they've actually been all right about it but their lack of understanding in terms of inclusivity, in terms of what the trans landscape looks like, and the LGBTQ plus landscape looks like, means that I'm having to be five steps ahead in my education to come back and educate them. And I don't think that that's good enough. Yeah, wow. So not only are they struggling with neurodivergent children, and I think there are more neurodivergent children because there's a narrow middle. Yes. Like if we look at normal, it's actually the the, the, the box that, the education system expects our children to fit in is a very small box and then we spend the rest of their lives telling them to think outside the box like what you get in this box for 16 years (laughs) so my frustration Mm -hmm. is the the schools are so data and information driven now Mm. on their performance that they've lost their heart for the kids and it's awful having friends that are teachers being friends with some yeah, of the I was teachers. Say, teachers are that's not the issue no, they're humans they're are win- human they're humans are wonderful yeah yeah and they and they want their kids at school to do well and they're rooting for their kids but the lack of education for and support for these teachers in order to help the numbers that are, are being forced upon these teachers so that they you know you've got one one teacher per sometimes 35 40 children in some instances how does that scale right because because if you look at the care um at like under five years old there's all these restrictions which is a massive problem for parents mm-hmm. for child care because child care costs because you've got to have you've got to have one adult to every three yeah. young people when they're under when they're like under one or two and then it's yeah don't quote me on it but mm. maybe it's four after that but then how does it scale from they need that uh, that attention to 35 in a room right. with all different backgrounds different the culture differences let different alone any other different yeah. Yeah. And obviously, more um, there's that vulnerability of the more life experience you have, the more you're going to um, be other external experiences that I've found with working with young people. And actually, when you reflect on it, there's so much that's out of our control. Yeah. I'm not. Cho- I, I didn't choose my name. I didn't choose where, I, what country I was born. I didn't choose where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Didn't choose my family. Yeah. And that's just when you when you come into the world. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Keep up. You know, forget what's happening outside there. You know, keep up because we've got deadline and we've got to get the tick box done. Yeah, we've got our Ofsted inspection coming. Everybody, do your best. Mm. You know, let's let's make sure that we get these GCSE results. And I, like, I'm having to have that conversation now with my son. Mm-hmm. Quite the opposite conversation that my parents had with me. My my mum just wanted, as long as I as long as I did my best, then mum was happy. But she wanted me to do dead good in my exams because I was going to do dead good because yeah. I'm a clever stick. So you were the saviour because there's yeah. a lot of pressure in those generations. You, t- you took right. the poo stick to the clever stick. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with Eli, I'm actually having to say to him, and I, it makes me feel like I'm at odds with myself, mm. that I don't really give a shit about your GCSEs, babe. I'm not asked because none of it, none of the, none of the certification has enabled me to do any of the things that I'm doing now. Mm. It has been my curiosity. It has been my self-awareness it has been my tenacity it has been my resilience that has brought me where I am it has been looking a few steps ahead it's trying to educate myself in the world that's brought me where I am as opposed to I mean 
we was when we were at Ideas Fest, watched Stephen Bartlett yeah. speak, and he goes, "You know, we're teaching these kids to be shit at physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was really like I am still no good at maths. I'm just calculate. <laughs> so I found I still can't write. Right, I, honestly, I can't. I've, I've I've written or produced. God knows how many. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't mean to pull you up, but when we were at that um, careers fair the other day, you're writing that note, and I was thinking, how's that geezer gonna? <laughs> How's <laughs> that keys I are gonna I've, I've I, I don't I don't know how to yeah. write. I can't write. <laughs> but I can I've got AI so <laughs> I can write emails with Otto and I write yeah. and I and you know, I've produced <laughs> millions of pounds worth of revenue for different businesses through their business plans. Because right. you don't I use the example, so I do a lot of work economic development work wider now and um I was working with one, I won't mention names, but I was working with one big function that are there as a function to give money to startups. And uh, one of the barriers to getting the money was writing a business plan. Right. So I sat down and said, would you ask a 13-year-old to complete their GCSEs day one? I said, no, of course, of course I wouldn't. I said, why the fuck would you ask a business person who's never run a business to write a business plan? Right. A business plan is a marketing asset. It's an asset to show... What, uh, what this business is, what its future is, what its forecasts are. To, to, to build a, an effective vision and strategy is much more about what you do up here on the beach and, and you're visualising the future and canvassing. Nothing to do with the bloody business plan. Anyway, don't get me started on that. <laughs> Entrepreneurship. So that leads in, because you've talked about resilience. Yep. You've talked about self-awareness. You've talked about confidence, tenacity, mm-hmm. network. Yep. You've basically just summed up entrepreneurship. Yeah. So... It, what what role do you think entrepreneurship? Obviously, you've, it's embedded in your everything you do. It's in my DNA. I didn't even know. So how can we, how can we, as a collective of social entrepreneurs, how can we um, make sure that entrepreneurship is talked about at eight years old and not waiting until they've they've because the problem we have now because we're the same. We're trying to get registered as alternative provision so we can get young people out of school earlier. Yeah, yeah. At the moment, we can't work on them until they're 16 because mm-hmm. we, we're not allowed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're trying to get closer and closer. But the result, uh, personally, I think if entrepreneurship is taught as a discipline, as a mindset, as a way of life, a form of creativity yep. from the age of eight years old, mm-hmm. then your 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 um, son thrives. Right. Like one of the things that I've got them, to, my son and my uh, middle daughter, Daisy, um, I'm trying to teach them entrepreneurialism without actually going, right, you're going to build a business. Yeah, exactly. So um, I got them to set up a vintage. So I've lost a lot of weight recently and I've got loads of clothes that I just cannot be bothered taking photos of mm. and putting onto an app to sell them. And I was like, right, do you want to earn, earn some coin? Because they want to earn some money. Yeah. I'm like, all right, okay. Because they've seen what I've done by... By building a business, they've seen what I've done. It's the generation, um, the new generation will change. Uh, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> I, I was like, right, okay, how, how instead of just doing the pots, because, like, you should just do the pots, like, help yeah, your mum out, yeah, like, yeah. just be a good person, be a good human being, help me tidy up, well, I'm a busy bee, come on. Hmm. So how can we earn some money? So we're going to need to sell something. In order to earn some money, you're going to have to exchange something, exchange some goods and services. So... Take some pictures, set up a vintage account. Well, I'll do it with you. And then it's up to you to complete people's orders, to sell it, to describe the item, take the photo of the item, make sure the transaction's done, make sure it's packaged right, make sure it's safe, get it to the get it to where it's going. Brilliant. So even showing them that they can do that and that's easily accessible from their phone, mm-hmm. it's not dangerous for them to do. I've got like an eye on it, but they, they're completely autonomous. If they want a bit of money... Then they know they've got a whole bunch of things there that they can sell. They've not had to do anything, make any, create anything. It's just Brilliant. there. Love that. 
and it's also like teaching them about sustainability and things like that like we need to be second hand in our clothes if they're good and they're in good nick then why shouldn't somebody else enjoy them instead of going into landfill so it's opened up quite a lot of conversations yeah. about the, the necessity for entrepreneurialism and, and as well for for young for young young ones ivy watches what i do ivy thinks she's famous mm. So I've I, seen Ivy. She's, <laughs> she is famous, by the way. So Ivy, I, you're famous. We love you. She's, she's seven years old and has yeah. seen me go live and, know, and share amazing. from when I was really young. So now she comes she <laughs> comes into, uh, onto my lives and she's like waving at everybody, blowing them kisses. Actually, she's looking at herself. Yeah. But she realises the, the need to network and the need to audience build in order to, if you've got something to say, you need people out there listening and watching. So for... For us as a collective, mm. mate, I, I turn up at the opening of an envelope, honestly, yeah. to talk about these things. And I know I know you guys do too. I, I think that's one of the reasons why we connect so well is that we love an event. Yeah. But <laughs> Just any chance anything, to get it out yeah, there. Yeah, any opportunity yeah, yeah. to say yes and be curious about something. Yeah, yeah, nice. So I'm by not know how it's gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do learn if you if you get no, you just your resilience builds. It's, yeah. weird, it's a win-win. Well, it's, right? it's just like I think what you, going to what you said there. Like you've you've probably said yes to things that you don't know what's gonna happen and sold oh, things mate, that's gonna honestly. happen. But I think what you said earlier about and the th the thing I'll come on to last. I've got a question to finish, but that 13 year old self, it was almost like a knowing of in the unknown, and I think that's quite cool place That's to be yeah it was really deep rooted that really really deep rooted like i just knew yeah. and i think that how do we and this is a this is a, an interesting one how do we teach our kids to know like that, because that's what confidence is. People think that confidence is being jazz hands and, and being extrovert. Actually, introversion and extroversion is just where you get your energy from. Well, what about conf confidence is just knowing, like knowing how to tie your shoelaces. I didn't know how to do it. I wasn't confident doing it. Now I do it all the time. I think that's, wh that's where, for, yeah, so for, for me, that is part of the mission of redefining entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurship isn't just about being the entrepreneur. It's about thinking like one. Um, you know, it was a great, a great quote which i'm definitely going to forget who said it now um and he said you know we don't all we don't all need to be an entrepreneur but at some point you're going to have to act like one right and, and we all and and industry needs it yeah. I, I go around i speak to i speak to senior leaders all around the uk and at a board level they want entrepreneurship mm -hmm. let alone at a young talent level yeah well something i did with my son uh, when he was younger was i would i wouldn't pay him for chores so i, I, I massively agree on yeah, that yeah. I would pay him for creativity. So right. if he produced me a piece of art, like a, even if it was rubbish, um, <laughs> then I'd give him money for that. So just starting to show them because we're moving into a creator economy. Right. But that's where that is the economy of the future. So we need to start educating it as much. Like let's like say there's a little moments, those yeah. little things, those little things you say. You don't have you don't have to work. Our parent, thank you, parents. You worked really hard for us. Yep. Um, but we're not entitled. We're just we're just more aware of our options these days. Right. And, and we have so much information fine. available to us. You know, talk about the education system again. If you've got the likes of TikTok, where a lot of our young people are getting their information, it's yeah. the new Google. And they're getting a lot of information. They're Googling, you know. The, my son understands more about his neurodiversity than I do from what he's learned yeah. from TikTok. You know, he's more educated in and of himself because he's actively seeking that out. Now, we didn't have that luxury. No. When we were growing up. So th th we were talking just before we, we hit roll about um, th the education system needs to catch up with us and not the other way around. Yeah. And I think there's this inherent fear within the system. Like, 
of holding Control. themselves back. Yeah, like we need to do things the way that they've always been done. But actually, we're evolving. This is what's happening. It's, this is this is evolution that's happening. It's not just the times are changing. This is what this is the next level for it's us. The time. It's a race. Yeah. So to bring it back right to wrap that up, you know, your you you said the what one word the most important word is community. Yeah. We've got to make all of this a community solution. Yeah. Because it's a community problem. It's not an education problem. Nope. It's not an industry problem. It's not a system problem. It's not a parent problem. Mm -hmm. It's actually a community problem. Right. And if we see it as such, then we as a community can wrap around and, and resolve those problems. And we become more powerful as a result. Mm. Like a lot of people feel despondent. Then they're not a part of something. And how powerful we become when we become mm. a part of something. The whole premise behind I am the Queen Bee isn't about me being the Queen Bee. It's about no. having a hive mind. It's about working with the people that are around us, linking arms. Bees do this thing when they're building something new. They festoon, they link arms. They literally link arms to show where the, the other bees, where they're going to build to. Wow. Like, that the importance of it comes from nature. Is when we've not been encouraged to come together as a community to make change because that's considered dangerous. And I think what's brilliant about what you guys are doing is you're doing this in a really safe and kind and and like I love this like kind of the curiosity that sits beneath it all. And if we're curious, then it's not offensive. Like I'm interested to see what can we do. Wouldn't it be interesting if we were to create this change together? Well, that sounds more reasonable yeah. than going in Before and they smashing know it, shit already up. Doing it. Right, exactly. Yeah, they're already right. doing it. Oh, wait, so it's working. <laughs> I think that's where you track the data. Now, I'm really excited to. Um, well, we're just excited to see you, let alone have you on here, and and you know keep doing what you're doing because I think it's just incredible. There's no getting rid of me, lads. You no, know that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> cool. All right, can I wrap up then? Yeah, go for it, man. Um, so if you had one minute to spend with the 13 year old Danny Wallace and her sister sitting in their oh. bedroom watching telly oh, <laughs> what would you knowing what you know now and what you've gone through what would you say to her the question that you always need to ask yourself is what am I learning what am I learning what am I learning not why is this happening to me not poor me but what am I learning because that's going to help you overcome what you're going through quicker because there is something in everything. And that's not to say the things that are going to happen to you is fair. Mm. That's not to say that you deserve any of the things that are happening around you. That hurt people hurt people. And, and do your best to, to not hurt people with your hurt. Mm. You get to not pay your pain forward. You get to pay your strength forward. And that's exactly what you're going to do. Hold tight. Mm. <laughs> Hold tight. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank, thank you so you. much for your time and your energy. And so... Uh, you want to uh, social handles yeah, where, where can we, where find, where we find more of you at the queen bee danny across i'm like sand at the beach i get everywhere um so yeah at the queen bee danny across uh, across the socials is where you will find me on the linkedin on the instagram at the asdas wherever brilliant well done nice. <laughs> thank you so much amazing right brilliant